Hello, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts, a podcast where you, our listeners, can become part of a conversation with us. We are three therapists who are going to talk about the good, the hard, and all the in-betweens of life. Come join us. So you guys tuned in last week and we talked about Taylor and we learned a lot about her and there were like some hard things that Taylor has gone through and KJ has also gone through hard things. And so this episode will be similar, but also it's KJ and it's a very different way of learning and experiencing all of this stuff. So it's going to be really interesting. This is real life and just like varied experiences. I love that. We really are like this nice, perfect little triangle with very different things (laughs) and different ways that we are the way that we are. I think we have different strengths and skills and it's coming out in these little interviews. So yeah, I'm learning a lot about you guys. (laughs) Oh, it's fun. All right. So KJ, let's start with the same at the same place which is, tell us about your family dynamic. Mm -hmm. All right. So I am the only child. So she's definitely the favorite. (laughs) I am the favorite and the least favorite, depending on my behavior. It's probably true. So, yeah, I remember in grad school, um, we had a lesson on, like, birth order. And they told, okay, Oldest children go to that corner of the room. Middle children go to that corner. (laughs) Youngest come to this corner. And they didn't even like mention at first only children. Have a category. So I was just sitting still, like in the (laughs) middle of the room. Leave it to KJ to not say anything. She just yeah. She's just like, well, you didn't mention my group, so yeah. And then (laughs) I just got to stay there. That was where my group was, just in the middle of the room. And, yeah, being an only child is, well, it's kind of unique. I mean, there's not a lot of families that just typically have one child. Um, But my parents struggled with infertility for almost a decade. And then I came along and was the show build their heart they didn't yeah. need anything else they the, were like all done. They needed. We're done yeah so yeah. so it was just me which is a pretty interesting experience it was good but hard um yeah. it's hard to be the kind of the center of attention in that way but i feel like my parents like looking back did a really good job of parenting one child in that they didn't spoil me and I had to work hard for what I had. So, mm-hmm. yes, I'd get, like, a lot of gifts on birthdays <laughs> and Christmas, and I still kind of hate opening gifts in front of people because it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah. But So, like, I'd get spoiled in that way. But, like, what I remember the most is, like, in high school, you know, when I'd be like, well, why don't, why don't I get a car? Like, all my friends have cars. Like, you can get a car when you buy a car. You can just borrow ours if you need one. Yeah. Oh, well, why can't I have a cell phone? Like, all my friends have cell phones. 
well, you can wait a while for that. (laughs) Just like everything I just kind of had to like work for and bide my time and build trust and make money and have a job. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like in that way, they really instilled in me like, we're not just going to hand you everything like you have to work for it because i and i talk about that because i think that's kind of like the perspective stereotype yeah it's a stereotype that's what people think like yeah spoiled only only child yeah have yeah and so yes i'm kind of this mix of like i love attention in some ways because Mm -hmm. i'm that only child like there are certain areas in life where i love attention and there are other areas of life where i absolutely hate being the center of attention because I was that mm-hmm. for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of where, where some of my things stem from, but um, just diving right into it. There was also an interesting dynamic in my home because um, my dad has an autoimmune disease so he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was three and mm. had it for, you know, however long before that undiagnosed. Multiple sclerosis or MS is where, well, an, an autoimmune disease is when your body's attacking itself, right? So mm-hmm. your body is attacking the myelin sheaths in your brain. So those are like basically the connectors of your nerves. So it's like your Mm -hmm. brain's or your body's like putting holes in these connectors. And so it can look different for everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. It can have different symptoms. So for my dad, it really affects his mobility, how he functions and how he gets around and it can affect mood and mental health. And there's all kinds of things that can kind of stem from, chronic illness and so it's just kind of that like my experience growing up with that was just it was my normal but then as I went to school I kind of started to figure out like oh my dad's different than other dads my Mm -hmm. dad doesn't move like other dads he doesn't walk like other dads there's things that I can't do with my dad so I spent I guess a lot of my life coming to terms with the disease and like watching someone suffer day in, day out. Um, But what was also really cool to watch was my parents' marriage and how they supported each other. And I think, I mean, these two have been through so much together But, you know, like years of infertility, have their child, then they get this diagnosis that makes things more difficult. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where it was a little tough, well, very tough, to be an only child was because my parents had each other. Yeah. And then there was me. Mm -hmm. So, like, I had them and I had their, like, support. I had secure attachment with them. I knew my needs were being taken care of, but I didn't have like, I guess people on my level who were experiencing what I was. Yeah. So you could relate to what yeah. you were at, going and especially at as your level child. of development, mm-hmm. like yeah. taking it in. Yeah. So a lot of things were like scary 
And then mm. I didn't know what to do. Like I yeah. didn't have someone at my level to like talk to or just like play with even because kids work out a lot of their stuff through play. Through play. Yeah, absolutely. And my play was, you know, with my parents, I'm sure a lot of the time, but a lot of times I was entertaining myself. Mm-hmm. So I think I held on to a lot of trauma in that way mm-hmm. for a long time. Yeah, because you just couldn't process it the way you needed to mm-hmm. because yeah. of life circumstances. And I think a lot of our listeners can relate to that. Like what Taylor mm-hmm. said, like sometimes there just are circumstances where you can't mm-hmm. move through it the way you want, you know? Yeah. 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 So I think from there I became a pretty avoidant personality because I would have these big emotions but not really know what to do mm-hmm. with them. And <laughs> in my family, we're not like – I think it's a personality trait. Like we're not super emotive. Um, we're not like emotionless. But yeah. I think my parents – I'm assuming – dealt with a lot of the emotion about this stuff between them. So I didn't see a lot of that like modeled for me, but they're also incredibly positive people. Mm -hmm. So they just exude this positivity mm -hmm. in this light. There's a lot of laughter when KJ is with her parents. (laughs) So much laughter. And that's like a big like method of coping, but I didn't really learn Okay, what do I do with the hard stuff? Yeah. So I just shoved that away mm-hmm. for years, like well into adulthood, like just mm-hmm. packed away all of those like moments of, you know, sadness, watching someone have a really hard time or watching my mom have a hard time being a caregiver and like all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff or like my own feelings of, jealousy because so-and-so gets to go do all of these crazy adventurous things or even just like play sports with her parents Mm -hmm. or things like that Mm -hmm. and that's just different than what I have you know Mm -hmm. so I was big avoidant emotionally (laughs) and didn't know it I didn't know what that was at the time yeah but I think I coped a lot with um, helping everyone else solve their problems mm-hmm. because then I didn't mm-hmm. have to think about my own. So yeah. like in middle school, I was a peer mediator. Like I would help peers solve That's their cute. conflicts. It's really yes. cute. So would yes. people like actually be fighting and you're like, Oh no, let's listen to her perspective as like a little 12 year old. Like, I'm in love with, I'm in love with middle school KJ right now. Yeah. It's like the best thing ever. I did a contract. They had to sit kitty corner to each other at a table. So they couldn't like swing punches or whatever. <laughs> I don't really know what the thought process was, but, and then we would do some problem solving. Good mm-hmm. for you so, to start out so early. So, yeah, I was about to say, so that started early for you. Mm-hmm. Like, your interest in helping others like that? Yeah, I, yeah. Was, I was probably 11. My gosh. Interesting where you were using your avoidance in such a positive way. 
Yeah. Yeah, what? <laughs> like, weird. I can't feel, I don't <laughs> know weird. how to deal with all of my stuff, but I can help other people deal with their stuff. I think that's a very positive way to deal mm-hmm. with things until you are ready to confront them. Mm-hmm. And if you I'm know? not careful, I still do that. Oh, I believe yeah, it. I will do that <laughs> all day. Yeah. So. Then you have me to call you on it, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. So, yeah, those were, I think that was kind of my foundation. Yeah. How did that translate for you into the later years of your life, like college? And I think I just was kind of drawn to friendships where people had emotions. <laughs> like Taylor. So, so I didn't have to. <laughs> I got Taylor had her I got lots for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, either that or people who were very much like me, where we could mm-hmm. just have fun and we didn't have to be emotional. It was mm-hmm. weird. I had like both of those things going on. I was definitely like a problem solver, fixer type friend. But then I was also like the friend that was like, let's not really be deep. And yeah. talk about hard things. So, like, there, yeah. like, I would have friendships where I would have these friends, like, at school. And eventually we got to the point where we'd, like, hang out outside of school, but maybe, like, months later. And then they'd come to my house and realize, like, oh, there's, like, hard things going on here. Yeah. Why didn't, why didn't yeah. you even mention this? And it was like, oh, I don't know. You know, so. Yeah, like, I wonder it, when, like, we found out or like when I found out about your dad, I don't even remember. Yeah. It, wasn't for a while. Just, it is definitely something that I kept very close to the heart for some reason, yeah. which is interesting because my parents aren't like that. Yeah. Like they, my dad has for sure used his experience to support many people who yeah. have yeah. MS and is like, has been a spokesman for like certain treatments and like things like that. So yeah. I don't, I don't really, I don't really know why kind of mm. kept that very close. Cause I think, well, moving into college, like moving away from home, I moved, yeah. I moved out of state for college. And I think with that, and I've never been like, I've never moved back. I've just Mm -hmm. been away from my parents for 10 years. I think with that, I do carry a lot of guilt. Mm. And so it can be hard to like talk about or open up about it because it reminds me of like, oh, I'm not there helping. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think I still have a lot of that going on too. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. And then how did how did this kind of avoidance affect your like relationships? And you've been pretty open about like your avoidant tendencies that you in dating, you know, and stuff, yeah. yeah, with dating and stuff. And mm-hmm. you've been pretty open about that and how you know, like you're our see. resident avoidant. Yeah, <laughs> but you about that, yeah. But you do talk a lot about how you worked your way out of that, mm-hmm. which is yeah. pretty powerful, amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was always interesting that, and I think kind of hypocritical because I wanted to be a therapist from like age 16. Like I just knew that was like the direction my life was going. I knew what my major was going to be in college. 
I had that all figured out, but I say it's hypocritical because it was like, I'm going to have a career where people come to me and talk about their emotions and their hard stuff, and we're going to figure it out. But I didn't do that (laughs) at all. Yeah. You know, with other people in relationships. Like, I do a little, like, disclosure here and there about something hard, but never in a way that was, like, actually processing through any of it. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until I got to grad school and I started learning about attachment and started being able to put words to my actions and how I was as a person that I was like, oh, this is kind of a problem. (laughs) Like, how can I hold space for people's pain if I can't even do that for my own? Like, that Mm -hmm. seems like I won't be in a place where I can really be as helpful as it can be to people. So got myself into some therapy. We did, this is interesting, like an interesting therapeutic technique. So if any of you guys have done this in therapy, been there, it's called empty chair. Oh, gosh, I do empty chair all the time. I knew you were going to bring up, I was like, I'm just waiting for the empty chair. It's oh, a story. Empty chair. It's so I good. do like, it's, powerful oh just listen up guys because you probably don't know what we're talking about (laughs) so basically what what happens is your therapist puts a chair in front of you and says okay i want you to imagine like this person that hurt you is in this chair and i want you to just say what you want to say to them and so mine was god God was in the empty chair Mm -hmm. because I had a lot of resentment of like, why are people afflicted with these things? Like out of nowhere. And why do people have to go through like such traumatic experiences? And I held a lot of anger towards God for a lot of my life. And so I just spewed at this chair. And it was very emotional, and it was, um, what's the word? Cathartic. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was a very yeah. cathartic experience for me. And so after that, it was like night and day. It was like, oh my gosh, I can talk about my emotions. And I started, you know, making friendships that had more of that foundation where we could just talk about stuff and like deep stuff. And in Jessica's interview, I talked about how she's just kind of that person that you can have these like deep conversations with. Mm -hmm. And that was a very healing friendship for me because I was able to like talk about these hard things with someone who could like hold space for that. And I could just experience that like dialogue back and forth with someone about things. Well, luckily I was in school for it or it could have been a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) But But I do remember like, like as you're talking, I just think about like the KJ that I met at the beginning of grad school and the end of grad school is a different KJ. Mm -hmm. Very much so in such a good way of like doing the work. Yeah. And I think that like something that you all need to know about KJ is she is the hardest working person oh my I've gosh. literally yes ever met like 
through graduate school, she was doing school full time. She was working full time. She was like, she was my therapist. She was (laughs) dating. So like, just did that. Green smoothies, not cooking. Freaking green smoothies. Yeah. She she just exercising, running marathons, like so much. Such a hard worker. But I think it's so interesting because like, not just like in a lifestyle, a hard worker, but also emotionally a hard worker. She Mm -hmm. just like, like Bod said, she's a different person. So she just like committed herself a thousand percent. And it makes sense when she talks about her family and her upbringing, how they taught her to work. Like they taught her to work for everything. And she is like being spoiled in the stereotype of like an only child. I cannot think of anyone who is farther from being oh, yeah. spoiled <laughs> than KJ. She just works so hard and she puts her heart and her soul into everything and i'm just like how do i how do i raise my kids so that they can like be i know like how KJ? do we get a kj yeah how do i get a kj sure. like yeah. what the, that's why your parents didn't have any more kids yeah. truly <laughs> you were the pinnacle you were at the pinnacle yeah, yeah. i told them and they, they... couldn't handle <laughs> any more stress than you brought them also. yeah yeah so. no. <laughs> no thank you that that's like super validating because I I want to like at this point in my life work very hard to be an emotionally present person. Mm-hmm. And I think for me it's like making up for years of kind of just that like suffering in loneliness, like not connecting with people emotionally, like I just didn't really know what I was missing. And something that happened in grad school that was like a trauma for me was my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And if you know anything about pancreatic cancer, it's essentially a death sentence. It was so surreal because I was away from home. Like I was in grad school and it was like Mm -hmm. I had to find ways to continue like staying caught up in class, but also like deal with this thing that was going on, you know, at home where I couldn't really be there to help or like really see what's going on. But I truly don't feel like I would have handled that in the way I did if I had not done the emotional work in therapy prior to that, that allowed me to not be avoidant and to actually like sit with people in my feelings. I decided to just be very open with like what I was experiencing so that I could have support and help. That was new. It was Mm -hmm. like a new behavior, but amazing. Like I'm so glad that I was able to just like ask for help and be able to like process those really Mm -hmm. tough things. I totally believe in miracles because my mom's whole story was a complete miracle and she's been in remission for six years. My dad has since had a near death experience too. Yeah. Like a couple months after I got married, he ended up getting life flighted and had two brain surgeries and it was wild and crazy. But because again, I had been working on my avoidance and like leaning on people for help, I could really lean on my husband at that time and other friends and loved ones. And 
got through that as well. And so I really think like, I don't know, I was just kind of prepared for like things like just kind of prepared for like the other shoe to drop or like bad things to happen to people that I love. Unfortunately, it's been like the same two people just repeatedly like spread the love universe spread the love yeah it's so hard um but i really think that i needed to have that experience in therapy to be able to cope with these things that have happened and i still have things that i haven't fully processed and i can tell when those things pop up because it's like, oh, when the good things happen in my life, I totally second guess it. And I'm like, okay, well, when's like the bad stuff going to happen? And mm-hmm. we've had a few years of like people are healthy. And I guess I should have said that my dad is okay. Um, <laughs> he's yes. all right. My parents he's just have, it, right? you know, life and death, near death experiences and they're, they're all right which is like a huge huge blessing and but yeah it's kind of like oh i'm just like holding my breath for the bad things to happen and so that's kind of like my next step is i need to work on those things so that i can like really just lean into when good things happen Uh they're like this is a good thing and i can i can enjoy this and love it yeah yeah, and there's that like self awareness of mm-hmm. that's what is coming next for me. Yeah, like I know it. And that's what I love about being self aware is you know that it can be better and you yeah. can enjoy the good things more. But I love that like you married someone who is like pretty optimistic, <laughs> like a pretty happy guy. Very. <laughs> I don't yep. know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it's like fun to be like now you can like grow into that together and like. Yeah. I don't know. I do think that that is like an interesting facet of healing from trauma is healing in an important relationship, whether that's a best friend or a spouse or, you know, like you, it is funny how we have that theme of like growing through trauma with people. I really loved what Taylor said in our interview with her about how she went through that experience of losing her daughter and how trauma and pain brought her closer to people and how she really saw her husband's soul. Just watching my parents go through these situations of like nearly losing each other. It's like the most like heartbreaking, but beautiful like thing I've seen ever Mm -hmm. because it's like you build these relationships with people to where they mean so much to you that it's so hard to think about them not being in your life anymore. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they are, and sometimes they're not. You know, like a lot of people have not been as fortunate as my parents have where they've recovered and they have more time. But it's like really interesting to see people in those moments where they're like faced with this reality that they could lose the people that they care about the most. I guess like that's been the shift that I've tried to make is like, I'm just going to be grateful for time with people because you never know and things can change in a split second. 
But if the hard things do happen, I think that's when you really can see like the deepest parts of somebody. Mm -hmm. And that's like why I love therapy and being a therapist because it's like, I get to be privileged if people trust me with their pain to like see like the real, real human behind mm-hmm. everything. I love it. That's yeah. awesome. And I think that's why you're such a good therapist. It's, it's so cool to like hear you tell this story and then it all connects to you as a clinician because you're so authentic. Like you are just like to your core an authentic person. And I think people see that in you. And you're thoughtful. KJ always pokes fun at herself that she doesn't talk a lot or she's the quiet one on here or something. But it's because she's so thoughtful in everything she does. So, I mean, when you put that in a room with somebody who is struggling and feeling and needs to process, you have somebody that's authentic, thoughtful, and non-judgmental. It is just like such a great combination for a talented therapist we are all very grateful that you were a peer counselor at the age of 11 and knew that you wanted to be a therapist because you will benefit so many people moving forward yeah and kj has you guys i wish that you could like see kj in real life like the way that she acts with her body (laughs) Because nobody has facial expressions like KJ, literally. Oh, my gosh. And so, like, she has this gift to bring humor to the depth, which mm-hmm. is amazing. And I... She so is I'm one sorry, of a kind. Guys. KJ she, uh, is literally one of a kind. I don't even 100%. think I believe that about myself. I'm like, yeah, there's no, but, people yeah. like me. But there is, like, no, one No, but there's, like, one, there's KJ. like one KJ. And KJ is authentically KJ all the time. 100%. No matter who she's with. I do wish you guys could see her, like, her nostrils especially become (laughs) quite a tool, which is unreal. I mean, it is something I hope I pass on to future generations. Yeah. My one hope, if they get anything from me, My one nostrils. (laughs) So. Thank you for sharing a lot of pieces of your life with us. You're welcome. That is... Years of work and some therapy for you. That is, yeah. this is the outcome. <laughs> and <laughs> being it, an man. awesome human being. Yeah, <laughs> well, we really liked you. We hope to have you on Thoughts on Thoughts oh, again. Thank you. Oh. I'll tune in on occasion and pipe in a sarcastic comment now and then. <laughs> on occasion. Sounds about right. So <laughs> we'll take it. Thanks for listening, guys. You've now gotten through all three of our interviews. Bless you for which getting through. Have all been three like, you did. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a fun, like, mine was more up here fluffy, and then we kind of got deeper and deeper. So I hope you enjoyed that. If you want to hear good. Bod's traumas and pain and suffering about all of her shots she had to give herself, so many shots. Listen to our IVF, IVF episode. episode. Well, thank you guys for your continued support listening to our episodes. We will be taking a break for a while as Taylor and I have brought some humans into this world. 
<laughs> that we are going to give some time and attention to. It's an unknown number of humans. <laughs> Likely to, but you never truly know. You never know. <laughs> you can't be sure until they come out. <laughs> and <I'm sorry. laughs> so we'll be taking some time off, but thank you for listening. We so appreciate you and we're excited to come back shortly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When they're less tired. Yes. Yes. And send mm-hmm. them all the good vibes for good, beautiful babies that sleep through the night. Oh, yeah. That's what they need. Yes. I don't know what else they need, but. Big nostrils. We... I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor, the seasoned mother, is like, please sleep through the night. KJ is like, please give me good nostrils <laughs> on me. <laughs> Not having been sleep deprived yet. So. Yeah, enjoy this break, listen to other podcasts, but then come back to mm-hmm. your one we and will only. We'll be back. The all reliable. On. <laughs> okay, bye. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. We want to create a community of inclusion where we can have conversations about topics that you need help with or have questions about. We want you to have a voice in this process, so please let us know what you want to hear about on future episodes. You can email us at thoughtspod at gmail.com. And if you search thoughtspod, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All original music is composed by Milan Vrijic from Valley of the Bears, and our logos are by Rick Thomas. Thanks for joining us.